Tim mentioned, we begin a new series today. And in your uh, bulletin, or in the handout you received when you came in, you'll notice this card. And it's a road map for where we will go between now and Advent. And I can tell you, once we get into Advent, the four Sunday mornings leading up to Christmas, we'll still be in the series. After the new year, we'll still be in the series. And maybe we'll be in the series all the way until Jesus comes. If you don't get the e-newsletter, I would just uh, encourage you to do that. You can do that by calling the office or sending an email. It's hebrononline.org, and um, that's the, um, the website. But if you call the office and register for it, it'll go out. And what we do every week is we give a preview of the message, and we give a number of questions that you can explore and begin to dig in even a little more deeply than we can on Sunday morning. Let's uh, begin in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Six months ago in Vero Beach, Florida, A man by the name of Bob Lamont died. He was 92. Now, for many of you, you don't even know this name, Bob Lamont, but for some of us with some years on us, we know that 59 years ago, he came to Pittsburgh, and he was the 10th senior pastor of the First Presbyterian Church of Pittsburgh. After he had been here in this city for a couple of years, he and his wife, Edna, felt that it was time to begin a family, and so she got pregnant. And on the same week in which she was scheduled to deliver, Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse was preaching at First Presbyterian Church. Now, the way it used to work in the late 50s is Barnhouse, who's from Philadelphia, who was a nationally acclaimed Bible teacher, one of the best ever. He would travel. In the wintertime, he'd go to California. But during the year, on various, during various weeks from Monday to Saturday, he would travel. And it was often the case he'd come here to Pittsburgh. And so he's preaching at First Presbyterian Church every night, Monday through Saturday. And the routine at that church was the same every night. The place was full. If you've ever been in there, it seats 2,000 people. Uh, There's a balcony that not only is in the back, but all the way around. The place was full. They'd sing for about 15 minutes, and then Dr. Lamont would get up and introduce Dr. Barnhouse. Barnhouse would come to the pulpit, and he'd preach for about 45 minutes. And then after that, there'd be some music, and then both Dr. Lamont and Dr. Barnhouse would go to the front of the chancel there, and people could come and pray with them or receive Christ and so forth. So every night it was the same, that routine, until Friday night. Lamont wasn't there. So they sang for 15 minutes. Barnhouse got up in the pulpit, introduced himself, because every night there were new people. And then he began to teach. And about 15 minutes in, the back doors of that large sanctuary opened, and in walked Dr. Lamont. And Barnhouse did something interesting. He stopped his message, and he stared at him. 
And all of the eyes of all of the people were fixed on Lamont. Now, he wanted to be surreptitious. He wanted to be inconspicuous. He came down the center aisle very quickly, but everybody was looking at him, and all the while, people were laughing, and everybody knew where he had been. He had been at the hospital, obviously. So Barnhouse, once Lamont took his seat, continued his message. And after his message, the music, and during that last hymn, Lamont came to Barnhouse and said, can I see you in my office right away? Now, normally they came down front, but this time the elders did that. And so once they get into Lamont's office, Lamont closes the door and he said, Dr. Barnhouse, I've just come from the hospital. My wife has just delivered our first son, but he's mongoloid, Down syndrome today. And they won't let us see him. They've taken the baby from both of us. And my wife is hysterical. She doesn't know what's wrong. What should I tell her? And instantly Barnhouse looked him in the eye and said, you go back and tell her this is of God. Lamont said, what? Tell her what? Where did you get that? And instantly Barnhouse opened the scriptures to Exodus chapter 4, and he read the account that Lamont had read over and over again where God is speaking to Moses, and he says, go to Pharaoh. And, and Moses says to the Lord, how can I go to Pharaoh? I am slow of speech and of tongue from the time that I was born. Remember what the Lord says to him? Who made man's mouth? Who made him deaf? or blind, or seeing. Is it not I, the Lord? Now you go, and I will be with your mouth. They prayed together. Lamont took his Bible and went to Allegheny General Hospital. As soon as he opened the door, his wife said, Pop, where's the baby? They won't let me see my baby. And he closed the door and he said, Honey, I don't understand this completely. But God has blessed us with a mongoloid son. She said, what? Where did you get that? And he opened the Bible and he read to her. And she grabbed the Bible and she read those words. And the amazing thing back in the late 50s, they had a telephone operator, you know, switchboard. She was an agnostic at best. And she knew the story of the Lamonts. She knew that the baby had been born Down syndrome, mongoloid, handicapped. And she knew that given the right set of circumstances, Christians would fall to pieces just like those who said there was no God. And so she determined she'd listen in to all the calls that went out of that room. The first call was from Edna, Edna Lamont to her mother. She said, Mama, we don't understand all there is to know, but God has blessed us with a mongoloid son. There were no tears. There was no anguish. There was a sense of reverence and a sense of surrender. Well, that telephone operator couldn't believe her ears. So she began to flap her gums and the story spread like wildfire all over the hospital. Three nights later, Lamont's standing in his pulpit preaching. 
When he gets to the end, he offers people the opportunity to receive Christ. He leaves the pulpit as they sing. He goes down front, and he did what he always did. He bowed his head and closed his eyes because generally nobody ever came. But you know something? When he opened his eyes that night, there were 24 nurses and the telephone switchboard operator, all who wanted to receive Christ. Now, some would say that's horrible to say that God did that. I don't think it's horrible at all. It's magnificent. How many of us can say that God used our lives within three days or four days of our birth to bring new life to 25 people? Now let me ask you a question. Do you think Barnhouse knew when he was standing in Lamont's office that that son of theirs would be used to bring new life to 25 souls, not on your life. But you know what he did know? He knew the Word of God. And he knew how to apply the Word of God to the circumstances of our lives. And so when Lamont says, what should I tell her? Immediately he thinks of God's Word. Exodus chapter 4. And he said, you go tell your wife what God said to Moses. If you've been at Hebron for the past year, you know that for nearly a year we studied brokenness and transformation in Christ. We looked at our brokenness, our broken relationship with God, our broken relationship with ourselves, our broken relationship with others and the world, and we looked and we saw how Jesus alone can heal that brokenness, and He can transform us. And there have been people that have come to us, and they've said, you know, that's the best series you ever preached. And you know why they said it? They didn't tell me why they said it, but I think I know why they said it. They said it because they knew what it meant to be broken. Every one of us knows what it means. Every one of us knows what it means to be broken. And we understand that even before we understand the remedy in Christ. You know what we discovered? That in the midst of the greatest brokenness in all of creation, there is only one who can heal us. And his name is Jesus. You know why he can heal us so effectively? Because he was there before anything was ever broken. He's been there before anything was broken. Years ago, people would come, a couple of people asked me, do you think you might be willing to preach a series on spiritual warfare? And if I ever asked why, they would say, because, you know, there's the full armor of God, and I don't see many people putting it on, including me. Why don't you preach on the full armor of God, spiritual warfare? And, and when I first heard it, I thought, yeah, I think I can do that. I mean, I've got a charismatic pedigree. I've been to three seminaries. I've read books on spiritual warfare. I've experienced spiritual warfare. I know some scriptures that relate to spiritual warfare, but somewhere along the line, within the first 10 minutes, I thought, I can't preach on spiritual warfare. Why? Because I'm not sure I could set the proper context. 
You know, in biblical study, context is king. Now, Jesus is king. But the most important thing in biblical study is context. You've heard me say it before. And Mike, I love that card you sent me a while back. A text without a context is a pretext. In other words, you've heard people say, you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. You can, as long as you take a text out of its context. You can make it say whatever you want it to say. But context is king. We must understand the, the context in which God speaks to us. And so in the past few months, I began to discover a context that I thought could preach. And obviously, I not only thought it, I was convinced of it because that's the way we're going with this series. There's a book published in 1965. It's a compilation of messages by Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse called The Invisible War. And I would encourage you, if you could have, have the ability to get it, to get it. Because in that book, Barnhouse takes us back before Adam, before the Garden of Eden, before the Spirit of God hovered on the face of the deep, he takes us back before time, before all of the brokenness, before all of the struggle, and he gives us a context. He gives us a context that's based on the whole counsel of God's Word. And in that context, we understand the root of our bit brokenness and the foundation of Christ's power in changing us. And so after, in the next few weeks, coming months, I'd like to look at that context with you. Because I believe that the same Holy Spirit who hovered over the face of the deep in Genesis 1-2 hovers over the, the hearts and the minds and the spirits and the souls of God's people. And I believe He does what He did back then. He brings light out of darkness and in that light, you and I are transformed. And so let's dig in. First of all, notice, if you will, the stop. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, period. Now, the Bible doesn't say period in terms of a word, but it gives you the period there. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, period. Now, when I was at Princeton, we learned or were taught that there are two creation accounts in the first two chapters of Genesis. There are two different stories of creation. The first one begins in verse 1, chapter 1, and, this, and it goes all the way till chapter 2, verse 4. That's the first story. And then the second story of creation begins in chapter 2, verse 4, and goes all the way through verse 7 of chapter 2. And the reason they taught that at Princeton was that they believed, or certain people believed, that these two different creation accounts or stories came from two different theological schools, political entities, that wrote the stories. And these political schools were existent or lived at the time of David and beyond. 
They held that these two creation accounts, because they're different, they refer to God with a different name, they're coming, these stories, they're coming to us from a time around David or afterwards. See, they didn't believe that God used Moses to author the first five books of the Bible. They rather said there are five different political operatives, theological schools that, uh, that uh, wrote the first five books of the Scriptures. And the reason there are two different creation accounts is these two different schools had two different political agendas. Now, I don't want to go into it any more than that because in the last 30 or 40 years, that theory has been debunked. I didn't believe it then, and I don't believe it now. Because the evidence is overwhelming that that view of the compilation of the first five books of Scripture has no foundation in fact. But the reason I bring it up is because I think there are two different creation accounts. I think there are two stories of creation. The first one is verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Period. You know what the Hebrews call that period? A hard stop. A full stop. Most of us read these two verses this way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form or void. Hebrews don't read it that way. They read it the way God intended it to be read. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, period. Full stop. Mighty period. And the reason they recognize this mighty period is because they understand the balance of Scripture and they understand the character of God. Now think about it a minute. If God is perfect and holy, and He is, that necessarily means whatever He does is perfect and holy. How can a perfect, holy God Create a creation that is without form, that is shapeless, that is dark, that is wrecked, that is ruined. You see, what the Hebrews see here are two different points of creation. Verse 1, God created the heavens and the earth, period. And then something happens between verse 1 and verse 2 where the perfect creation becomes judged. It becomes broken. It becomes lifeless. It becomes dark. It becomes a formless chaos. Second, notice the sequence. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to see how the rest of the Bible informs verses 1 and 2. We're going to see that God brings judgment on the creation that He creates in verse 1. And chaos and darkness and brokenness is the result. And we're going to see that by looking at the balance of Scripture and seeing how other Scriptures can inform us as to the context of verses 1 and 2. Let me illustrate it. Decades ago in Doylestown, Pennsylvania, a family received a Christmas present. 
It was a puzzle. But instead of being made of cardboard, it was made of wood. 500 pieces of wood, all hand-painted. They didn't give you a picture. They just gave you the blank board and all the pieces and no lines. Well, when the Barnhouses got this puzzle, their two oldest boys took it, put it on the dining room table, and dug into it. I mean, these guys are going to figure it out. And after they were working for about a half hour, their little three-year-old sister came, and she stole 20 of the pieces. And she goes over in the corner of the living room. She gets a little table, and she starts putting it together. And when her father walks through, she says, Daddy, come see, I put the pieces of puzzle together. He goes over, and she holds up one that's painted red, and says, Daddy, this is a flower. She holds up another blue one. This is a bird. And she had all these pieces that she had identified as, as different uh, parts of creation. And she said, it's the puzzle. It's, it's together, Daddy. Now, her older brothers knew she was nuts. But to a three-year-old, with 20 pieces rather than 500, she, in her three-year-old mind, had put it together. And Barnhouse said, that's how it is to study Scripture. There are people who can recite a verse. There are people who can give you a chapter and a verse. There are people who can give you a description of a certain number of verses. It's called a pericope, a, a little bunch of Scripture. And you can, as a result of memorizing a few verses and knowing chapter and verse, you can come to some degree of understanding. But just like that puzzle, the Scripture is a unified whole. And Barnhouse said, we Christians must labor to come to every text, and on every text, take the balance of Scripture and make it like an, like an inverted pyramid on every text, because Scripture interprets Scripture. Sometimes people come to me and say, you know, I didn't know that, which you preached a couple weeks ago. And I said, me either until a year ago or whenever. They said, you mean you still are learning? I'll learn the rest of my life. I remember my mother saying to my father after he finished grad, uh, undergraduate and graduate, she said, are you done studying? He said, I'll never finish. And when he died at 89, it was only about three months since he taught his last Bible study. Always learning because the Bible is a puzzle. There are pieces that inform the text or the theme that you're looking at. And then third, notice the significance. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. You know how the Hebrews translate that? The earth was a wreck and a ruin. Think of that. God created the heavens and the earth. It had to have been perfect. Because he was perfect. Period. And then a gap of time. The earth was a wreck and a ruin. You see, something happens between verses 1 and 2. 
And the rest of Scripture gives us some hint. Isaiah 45, verse 18, that Tim read at the beginning. It says this, For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, He is God, who formed the earth and made it, He established it. He did not create it empty. He did not form it to be, or He, he formed it to be inhabited. You see, when God made, created the heavens and the earth, he did it perfectly. But something happened during this period of time in which what he created became a wreck and a ruin because he brought judgment. You say, what happened? What went on? How did his perfect creation become a wreck? How did it become ruined? The same way you experience all the brokenness you experience. What happened before time began, when he created perfect, and when ruin came, is exactly what happens in your life and my life. You say, well, what is it? Don't keep us in suspense. What happened? Show us from Scripture. That's next week. So until then, think about this. Amen.